The fan base is obviously out on Fuente at this point. I think it's one of those deals where the majority of the fan base feels like this is a lame duck coaching situation where Tech can't can him right now because of the $12.5 million buyout that's tied to him and the fact that the athletic department is going yeah. to incur somewhere around a $50 million revenue loss due to COVID this year. Whoa. Um, so it's large, right? And. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownwell, and we do still have some football this week, although not all the games. And I'm sorry about last week where we previewed a game that did not happen between Pittsburgh and Georgia Tech. But at least you can imagine what it might have been like if it happened. Um, that's honestly probably better than having to watch it. And, and this week, I, I wanted to have on, I haven't had on someone from Virginia Tech all season. And so I'm joined by Mike McDaniel. Hi, Mike. What's up, Lauren? How are you? Good. He covers Virginia Tech. You've been covering Virginia Tech now for what, three, four years at least? Yeah, I think can, yeah, cons- more consistently over the last, I'd say, three or four years. But I've been writing about okay. tech for about six or seven. Yep. And you have a pretty good sort of, you know, handle on what's going on there. Uh, you can find his stuff at Sons of Saturday, right? That's and right. And the podcast, you do plug your podcast, too, before I forget to do all of these things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. I do it with my buddy, Joey Weaver. I've actually had Lauren on a couple of times, so definitely go yes. check that out. We have uh, a bunch of good guests. We talk about ACC football on a weekly basis, all of the good and the bad and the go ACC content out there. So go definitely check that out. Yeah, and they really know their staff, and, and it's a fun listen. It, it, I've always enjoyed my time there and been impressed with, you know, everything you guys know, not only about the teams that you cover or like, but everybody else. So it's always a fun listen. I guess we should, we'll get into Virginia Tech in a sec. I, I think we should probably touch on the fact that there was an NBA draft and it was the fewest first round picks for the ACC since 2008 when they only had one, which was wild to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. AJ Nixon, remember him? Oh my God. What a throwback. <laughs> yeah. It, it's right. It's really weird. I, I was watching it last night, and it's very weird to me just to have a November draft. It just kind of it feels like it just kind of snuck up on everybody. And I don't know if it felt it, that way for you, yeah. Lauren, but it really felt 100%. that way for me. Yeah, yeah. I had to cover it for work, um, and obviously, like I'm usually quite busy on those nights because we have Carolina players, Duke players, State players as well being drafted. Um, I was not as busy, and I don't usually have to stay up quite as late, but I did tonight. I did last night because I had to wait for. Cassius Stanley to see where he might go and Trey Jones as well that we were kind of on Trey Jones watch for a hot minute it seemed like NBA people thought he would get picked before Vernon Carey that was not the case Vernon Carey goes to the Hornets um which is exciting it's always cool when they pick I, I know people like have people have made these jokes for a long time now because the the then Bobcats drafted Raymond Felton and Sean May in 2005 oh my god guys, I, guys I get it but that was 15 years ago okay like I was in college. <laughs> yeah, why? I mean, Lauren, not not to not to you know date you, right? And age you, but I mean that was 2005. I mean, I remember watching Sean May and Raymond Felton, and they have since gone through their respective NBA careers. Raymond Felton, of course, had the longer NBA career, but good lord, it's been a while. And yeah, I agree. They Every year we do this, we recycle the jokes with the right. Hornets. It's like, oh. They're just going to draft whatever Carolina players there, and it's like, no, that's not. Yeah. Um, 
Fast forward to twenty, like the year twenty forty, and they'll still be making Sean May and Raymond Felton jokes. Yes, I mean to be fair, I'll probably still be making Beamer Ball jokes. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. But I mean, that's a little. I think that's a little different. That was like a one year deal for the Hornets, and neither pick. Well, I mean, Raymond Felton was in the league a while, but neither pick worked out great for them. While you know, Beamer had a long tradition of playing special teams very well so the joke yeah, is a little sure. more no, nobody nobody really associates it's funny because like nobody really associates raymond felton's career with the bobcats right everybody no. talks about how he was with the knicks forever and that's kind of how everybody associates him with the nba nobody really remembers that he started nobody outside of this area nobody right. outside of this area everybody in this area oh they know yeah yep. and they always make the joke <laughs> but uh yeah it was you know i think we all know it wasn't the most talent-rich draft. It wasn't the most talented season of ACC basketball. I think that's probably going to change this year in terms of the number of draft picks. It was weird to see like Alabama have draft picks before, like Duke. That was yes. surreal. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I mean, it was it was really interesting too because I mean, when I was watching the draft last night, there were still some really talented players on the board in the second round, and maybe this didn't have the star power of most years, but it it really did feel like this yeah. was one of the deeper drafts, even if it wasn't that way for the ACC. It felt like just overall, it was a really deep draft this year, and I, I, I'm not sure how much people are going to appreciate that outside of like the diehard NBA fans, because I feel like even for like ACCers, right, that are watching this draft and there aren't you know, that many star players being picked. I think when you look at the draft in its entirety, like years from now, I think people are, aren't going to appreciate this draft as much as they potentially could just because it took place in November. People didn't really think about it until it really just snuck up on them. And then just the amount of really good players that were on the board late that I, I think could end up having pretty good NBA careers, not just in the ACC, but across college basketball that got drafted last night. Um, I, I think it'll be really interested to see how people just kind of look back and remember this 2020 draft because it was a weird year anyway. Um, but to kind of yeah. look back on it and see all these guys that, you know, you maybe forgot about get picked late or not get picked up at all um, in the draft last night and sign as undrafted free agents. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see how people look back at this. Yeah. And it was a weird year too with COVID that limits your workouts and no right. combine and all that stuff. And I think some guys are probably hurt by that more than others. And But shout out to Patrick Williams, who I loved this year. Uh, and Devin Vassell and Florida State in general. We love you, Lenny Ham. Yeah, oh my um, God. Most underrated. He's criminally underrated. Criminally he really underrated. Is. That's, a, that's a basketball school now. Sorry it to is. report. I tweeted um, that last night. <laughs> I, I think that, that took a lot of people by surprise. I was like, yep, this is now a basketball school. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, uh, shout out to Cole Anthony, who I enjoyed covering for a year. And I felt like, and I understand why when you come in as hyped as he is and, and, and everything else, you, you get scrutinized a little bit more. But I thought he always handled it very well. Um, and his teammates really rushed out to defend him when some of that narrative started to come up about him being a bad teammate and was like, he didn't have to come back last year, you know? Right. And, and, and I, I enjoyed him. I thought he was a neat kid. And it was, uh, I, I, I teared up a couple times last night. And one of them was when he broke down. So it, even though it was weird to like look and see Spike Lee in his home. Um, <laughs> yes, that was a little a little weird to have Spike Lee just kind of sitting there off to the side. But I will say that um, it, the, the coolest part about the NBA draft is to see the reactions of all these players, right? And to see their dreams kind of made reality. Um, yeah, and it was such a journey for him. Yeah, it really is. And it was such a journey for him, especially. Like, And I know he got maligned a lot, and, and it was cool to see it pay off for him. Um, for sure. And, uh, okay. 
Speaking of basketball schools, I like to go chronological. So we'll get to Virginia Tech. <laughs> I just am obsessive about this. Um, yep. We'll get to Virginia Tech a little later. So, oh, Friday night. We got a Friday night game. Oh, boy. Syracuse at Louisville. Okay. What could um, go wrong there, Lauren? Right? Oh, go wrong? Well, Louisville's already lost to one of the worst teams in the league in Georgia oh, Tech <laughs> on a Friday night. So there is that. And Syracuse, I mean... They remember when they were playing Clemson the week after they lost to Liberty and they were like 30 point dogs and everybody was like, oh, they're going to lose by a million. Um, And they didn't. They did not lose by a million. So I'm not saying that they're going to win. Let's not get crazy. But I mean, Louisville's just really limping right now, Uh, kind of literally and figuratively, really. I know they'll probably get some guys back this week from some of the COVID holdouts they've had, though. Yeah, for sure. I was previewing this with Joey the other night when we were recording, and we had our buddy Cam Underwood on, who I know you've had on here before. Oh, I love Cam. Yeah. 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 Cam's Cam's our buddy, and we've had him on multiple times on our podcast. But we were talking about this game, and the the one thing that stood out was obviously that 18-point line for Louisville. And the discussion that we were kicking around, and I think you and I can have a similar discussion here, is are you really comfortable laying 18 points with Louisville, or are you more comfortable betting on Syracuse? That was the conversation that we had. That's a great question. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, pass? Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it would be best for all involved if this game was canceled. It's like, that's kind of how we thought that's yeah. how we felt about as fans, right? Um, you know, obviously we want all the players to be healthy and we don't want the game to be canceled from that standpoint. But from the standpoint of watchability, we'd rather not. And <laughs> looking. Yeah. The only intrigue for me here, though, is Jacoby and Morgan um, to watch him play for Syracuse, a quarterback. Can they have they found something there? I mean, they haven't had anything since Eric Dungy. Have they found something there in him? I don't know. I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and I and I hope so for Dino's sake, right? Because it's yeah. the the conversation too that I think we're going to start to have on a larger ACC scale with Syracuse is is it really Dino Babers or is it that coaching job there? That's right? a great question. It's a really tough school to coach. And I, I look at Dino Babers and what he was able to do with a competent quarterback in Eric Dunchy. And the biggest mark against Babers, and I don't even know if it's really a mark against him, is the fact that he hasn't really been able to replace him, right? And I, I look at this as like, okay, Tommy DeVito comes in, everybody looks at him and says, you know what, heir apparent to Tony, or Tony Dungy. Yeah, I wish. Eric Dungy. <laughs> um, Eric Dungy as a quarterback was so good. And when he got hurt, Tommy DeVito came in and filled in for him a couple different times and looked competent. So I think a lot of people had high expectations for Tommy DeVito. And when he didn't really pan out, and then it was the Rex Culpepper show, and then he doesn't really pan out, it's like, oh my God, now they're searching for all these quarterbacks. The defense isn't very good. And where do they go from here? And is this a Dino Babers issue or is this just a Syracuse recruiting issue? And to be honest with you, I think it's the latter. I think it's a Syracuse recruiting issue. It's just really hard to get really good players there. Yeah. It's just a tough, it's a tough school to coach at. And I feel like to, to have conversations about Dino Baber's job, I think, look, it's fair when you look at a look at the team from a win-loss perspective since Eric Dungy left. But in a lot of ways, it's like, who are you going to get there that's better than Dino Baber's, right? And that's the conversation I think that needs to be had there for Syracuse. So I'm I'm also really uh, I'm with you. I mean, Jacoby and Morgan's a story here. Like, if they find something with him and they're able to gather some momentum heading into next year at quarterback and offensively, I think Syracuse has real potential to bounce back. But if not, then I think we're going to start to have these conversations where 
okay, is Dino Babers going to be the coach for the long haul at Syracuse? And I don't know what the answer is to that. Yeah, I don't either. Um, and on the Louisville side of things, I think Louisville fans, for the most part, understand, other than the Georgia Tech game, that this has been a tough season with a tough schedule for them. Had, they had the COVID issues and everything else. But this feels like a game that if they want to feel good about things heading into next year, they need to win this one. I'm just saying. Yeah, they do. And I mean, Javion Hawkins just opted out, which is a pretty big loss for them offensively. But even so, I mean, the, the best part of this game or the best unit in this game is still Louisville's offense. Yep. But for an 18 point spread, even at home. I, yeah, no, 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 I no. Can't, I can't do that with good conscience, like conscience. Like I can't sit no. here and, and pick mm-hmm. Louisville to cover three touchdowns when they've been this bad defensively all year. I know it's a Syracuse offense hasn't been great either, but 18 is a ton of points, Lauren. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not touching it. Not touching that. I'm with you. Even the over-under feels a little fishy, although I'd probably feel more comfortable going over there. Agree. Uh, and it's like 56 and a half. Yeah, I'd probably feel more comfortable with that than I would betting anything else in that game. So, yeah, totally with you. A Friday night treat for everyone. And by treats, I mean whatever the opposite is. <sighs> we'll all still watch it. But yep, well, that's what we do. We're masochists. Yep. Um, all right, so we'll get to the first game on set. Oh, dear God. Clemson at FSU. <laughs> I, I, okay. <laughs> I agree. I think that this is probably going to be the disaster we thought Clemson-Syracuse would be. I agree. You know what? That is a great comparison. That's a great comparison. I think everybody looked at the Clemson-Syracuse matchup. They were like, oh, my God, cover your eyes. But I think this is the actual, oh, my God, cover your eyes game, right? Um, yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, God and everybody just opted out from Florida State and they were bad to begin with. And Clemson is coming off of two weeks of stewing from the Notre Dame loss in South Bend in double overtime and they get Sunshine Trevor Lawrence back. Oof. You know, this is just this screams murder, doesn't it? Like this it, feels it really like does. an absolute blowout game I for Clemson. And and then Chubba Purdy's out for Florida State now um, yeah. at quarterback. And, you know, I actually, I will say this. For as much quit as we've seen in Florida State this year, I thought that they showed a lot of fight um, at NC State. And I was surprised to see it because for the most part with them, especially in the second half of games, we haven't seen that. Yeah. Um, so, like, kudos, I guess. But this feels like a game where they'll get down big and just... And, and the one thing with Mike Norvell and all these opt-outs and, and guys that have been hurt and everything else is that, and I'm not saying that this is their fault or anything, but some of them are the players that have been around a long time. And, and Norvell is is doing a hard reset here. And that includes, and I know it's a cliche, but some of the cultural stuff. And right. he can sort of mold the younger guys in his image a little bit more. And they might be a little bit more eager to go out there and, and make plays and, and play well than, than maybe some of the older guys who have been a little bit beaten down by all the pain. Yeah. And I, you know what? I, Florida State took me by surprise a little bit earlier in the year when, you know, they went to Jordan <laughs> Travis at quarterback, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is." Oh, fun. I love Travis. Yeah, yeah, they're fun. They're interesting on offense. Like this is, this might be something here. And then you know, the tape was out on Travis. They realized he really couldn't throw, and then teams just sold out on the run. And then Florida State is just totally incompetent on offense again. So, you know, you don't have Travis. You, you mentioned Chubba Purdy's out. Tate Rotomaker, I guess, is <laughs> who so we're going to roll with the quarterback. I, I, don't yeah, I guess it's a mess. I don't know. It's, it's bad. And it's um, uh, that's before yeah. you even take into account Clemson's defense, which 
I think will be looking to bounce back in a big way. And, and Clemson's going to go for style points the rest of the way going into the ACC yep. championship game, who we assume will be against Notre Dame. So, yeah. uh, you know, they'll be going for style points. And I feel like this is a game where Clemson could just kind of bury Florida State early and not let off the gas. Yeah, and and by the way, just before we move on, North Carolina fans have been giving me some grief locally, not a lot of them, but some of them have, for not ranking them. No one has a loss as bad as y'all. You are still FSU's only FBS (laughs) win. I don't know why this is complicated for y'all. If I could rank your offense by itself, I would do that because it's great. We all know that. But sadly, y'all got down 31-7 to this Florida State team. And not only, it was bad then, and it has aged worse. Yes, so. yes. I, that's for, for some North Carolina fans who expect the heels to be ranked after how bad the defense has looked and how bad some of the losses have looked. I mean, even the UVA game was just brutal defensively. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was bad defensively. I do think that loss is a little different because I think Virginia with Armstrong at QB is a different beast. Totally. Um, but again, like you said, I mean, Florida State is, I know that they, they had, you know, they, that was their one moment. That was their one. And then at Notre Dame too, I think they played pretty well for a little while. Those were their two real moments this year yeah. where they were pretty competent and played well and, and showed some fight and, and had some of their talented guys play well. They haven't Great. done that since. So uh, it's, you know, sorry, North Carolina, like that's not, that's not something we can just erase off the slate. It's just no. no I mean, I, I agree. There's not. Yeah, there's I'm not going it. to be. Yeah. There's not going to be many losses worse than the Florida State loss. I mean, I. They, they, yeah. They. Nobody did well in that game for North Carolina for the first in the first half, in my yeah. opinion. Just yeah. nobody. Especially like coordinators, players. Nobody. Everybody was bad. Yeah. Um. Ugly. So ugly. Yeah. It was real bad. All right. Four o'clock. Yeah, that's the only new game on Saturday, I guess, because Wake Duke got canceled um, because of COVID for Wake, um, which is certainly worth keeping an eye on from North Carolina's perspective. Although I don't know that I've heard of anybody so far. I'm sure it may maybe has happened, but I don't know if I've heard of anybody either being held out or testing positive because of game contact with somebody. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's I- happened. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm wondering the same about Virginia Tech in regard to the Miami issues that they've had COVID-wise. Um, I've been kind of keeping yeah. an eye on that because Virginia Tech's had plenty of issues of their own from a COVID standpoint earlier this year, and it feels like they're mostly past that at this point. So I'd like to kind of remain past that, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and that, so we got four o'clock ACC Network, Virginia Tech at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had to postpone its game because of COVID issues last week against Georgia Tech. Uh, like you mentioned with Virginia Tech, they've had some of their own issues. Okay, so here we are. Virginia Tech was a team I really liked, honestly. Um, not that long ago, it feels like. And by the way, that that win hasn't helped North Carolina either with seeing Virginia Tech, you know, kind of slip back to earth a little bit. Yeah. Um, but what I mean, the defense is. I mean, they've gotten healthier, I guess, but they still have some injuries. I know. Um. But it it's just it the defense hasn't really rounded into form and the offense, which started off so hot, has just I don't know if fizzled is the right word. I don't know how you would sort of phrase it, but I mean Justin Fuente through the first few weeks of the season was as impressive as anybody in terms of the coaching job he had done. And now it just seems like everything has turned really, really quickly. 
Yeah, prior to the Wake Forest game, Bill Connolly from ESPN had Justin Fuente second in his Coach of the Year, like midseason Coach of the Year awards nationally um, for the job that he had done. And that was even after that North Carolina loss, just the job he had done the early part of the year with everybody out due to COVID and you know what they were dealing with without their starting quarterback. And I, look, Justin Fuente, I think it's, The fan base is obviously out on Fuente at this point. I think it's one of those deals where the majority of the fan base feels like this is a lame duck coaching situation where Tech can't can him right now because of the $12.5 million buyout that's tied to him and the fact that the athletic department is going to incur somewhere around a $50 million revenue loss due to COVID this year. Um, So it's large, right? And the, the issue that I'm having, Lauren, and I, I know you see the battles and, and you chime in from time to time. You see the battles I get into on, on Twitter with some Virginia Tech fans that uh, have heated discussions with me in my mentions. The, the discussion that needs to be had here is the fact that Virginia Tech is not Texas. They are not USC. They are not Clemson. They are not an athletic department that is in a position to make this kind of move at head coach with no real backup plan right and in my mind to pay a 12 and a half million dollar buyout it has to really really bottom out to the point where you don't feel like you can even recruit at a top 45 top 50 level and so folks listening to this podcast who are familiar with virginia tech are going to point out the fact that the Hokies had a recruiting class last year that was the worst in the power five right and that's totally fair. And they, the recruiting hasn't been great under Fuente. They, they're bouncing back a little bit this year, but I think it's probably at best going to be like a top 35 class. So by Virginia Tech standards, by, by most schools in the ACC standards, that's okay. By Virginia Tech standards, they're used to being in that 20 to twenty to 30 range. So recruiting has are, regressed are they, a bit. Are they still like dominating Virginia Beach and, and the, those types of areas the way they no. did before? Is that, is that the issue? Okay. They, they yeah. aren't, and that that's the big that's the biggest issue. And Fuente has burned a lot of bridges in the state of Virginia because I'll tell you what happens, right? He they, they've been Ooh, pushing the Larry this. Story. Oh my god, <laughs> they've been pushing. Yes, that's that's a that's a very good comp actually. It's almost like he's going everywhere but the state of Virginia to recruit. And Tech's got Tech's done a pretty good job this year of bringing in recruits in the 2021 class from the state of Virginia, but they're still having trouble pulling in those elite guys. And a big reason why is because Fuente and his staff, they, they've burned bridges in the Commonwealth. They've burned bridges in uh, the Tidewater area, the Richmond area, which is a hotbed oh, for that's recruiting, and yeah. Northern Virginia. Tidewater. No, no, yeah. No. So it's, look, Recruiting is a lot more nationalized now. I think we can agree on that. Like schools are going all over the place now in the era of social media and the era of the internet. It's a lot easier to recruit outside of your general vicinity, right? So recruiting has changed since the Frank Beamer era. But the one thing I will say is that when Beamer was at Tech and they were having their very successful run, obviously the '99 team that went to the championship, national championship, and they had the, you know, that run from 2004 to 2011 where they were consistently one of the best teams in the ACC. And the difference between then and now is that Frank Beamer's staff did a really nice job of recruiting in state and building and developing those relationships. And I think the biggest issue that Justin Fuente is having and the issue that he's now trying to overcome with some of his recent coaching staff hires 
is that he didn't really ever build those types of relationships in Virginia. He was always a guy who, you know, was coming from Oklahoma and his staff has familiarity in that area of the country. And they came in and they recruited the state of North Carolina really well. If you remember the first few years, yeah. they were going into North Carolina when Fedora was there and not in kind of having the same issue. Yeah, Fedora had a similar problem in that he just sort of got a little lazy when it came to recruiting North Carolina and sort of assuming the name would sell itself, which is not, as we all know, that's not the case. And, right. um, you know, severed a lot of ties uh, in the high school community. Right. And, and you think about the contributors for Virginia Tech now. Hendon Hooker is a North Carolina kid. Dax Hollyfield is a North Carolina kid. Trey Divine Turner, Diablo. Divine Diablo. Like the star power on Virginia Tech they're all North Carolina kids. And Fuente and his staff did a really nice job of recruiting North Carolina. Mac Brown came in and basically built the picket fence and said, you know what? Best of luck to you. We're keeping all of our four and five star talent here. And that's something obviously Fedora wasn't doing. So then Fuente and his staff couldn't get those kids anymore or just kind of failed to put in the effort needed to recruit those kids. And they pivoted to Texas, which I mean... Okay, well, like, great. Texas has a lot of talent, but that's going to be your pipeline is getting a kid from Texas to come to Southwest Virginia. That's that's yeah. going to be the pipeline now. Well, like you pointed out, even in the age of the Internet and social media, like, yes, you can recruit from anywhere. But a lot of kids and this is where I think it is important, like you said, to have your in-state relationships. A lot of kids would ideally like to stay close to home. Right, they would. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech has had some kids that they had committed to the 2020 class out of Texas, uh, notably Demetrius Davis, um, North Shore High School in Texas, four-star quarterback. He committed to the Hokies early. Tech couldn't get the star power in there to supplement, you know, his commitment. And he decommitted back in the spring and, you know, in the height of COVID. And now he's committed to Auburn. And that was kind of the first major shoe to drop where everybody looked at it and said, you know what, building a pipeline around a kid from Texas and building your entire class around that one individual is probably not the way to go. And the same thing happened with a four-star wide receiver, Latrell Neville. There's a three-star wide receiver right now, Dwayne Lofton. He's a high three-star kid, slot receiver, real fast, real athletic on film. Looks like he would be a really good fit for Brad Cornelson's offense at Virginia Tech. He just received an offer from TCU. He lives about 25 miles from that campus. And yeah. now it's looking like he could potentially flip down the line because he he is a kid that, you know, he committed to Virginia Tech sight unseen. He's never been to Blacksburg. And with the extended dead period, I feel like a lot of these kids, and it's not just Lofton, but it's a lot of these other kids are going to kind of go back to what they know and what they're familiar with. And I think that that's a potential flip to TCU. So this has the potential to be absolutely catastrophic for Virginia Tech. Um, I, I just don't know what they're going to do now moving forward for, I mean, this 2021 class, I, I just don't know what, where they go from here. You know, well, it's hard. The, the offense though, this year, that's a question mark for me too, because it, I mean, at, you know, even against North Carolina, once they put in him hooker, it looked unstoppable. I was very impressed with the way it was like, okay, this is finally the offense that Justin Puente really wants to run. This is what it's going to look like. And I don't understand kind of what's gone wrong. And I know Khalil Herbert being out has not helped, but it just feels like it's gotten a little more stoppable lately. I agree. And, I, you know, I, I think the big 
a big thing that the fan base always harps on with Brad Cornelson as an offensive coordinator is the play calling, which I mean, every offensive coordinator is going to be killed for play calling, you know, one time or another. The, The thing about that is for me is that there's a lot of good plays that he calls. And then there's a lot of plays that he calls that kind of exposes a deeper flaw for me with him as an offensive coordinator. So I think that the criticism of him is fair, but I think it's misguided. And here's what I mean by that. Hendon Hooker, when he came in last year as a starting quarterback, you know, came in for Ryan Willis, resurrected the season, starting with that Miami game in early October. When he came in, he was a guy who ran the read option really well and looked more like a quarterback that was prototypical for the Brad Cornelson scheme. Ryan Willis was not that last year, and that was no. pretty clear. And Tech really hadn't had that since Gerard Evans in 2016 because you know, they had Josh Jackson. He was not really a, a running athletic type quarterback. He was more of a pocket passer. And then when Ryan Willis filled in for him, they had to totally change the offense. And they, they went with Willis last year because of his arm strength and what he was able to do through the air early in the year. It failed. Hooker comes in, runs the read option, carries the ball well, um, throws the ball pretty well. But the, the bigger issue for me kind of going into this year is that Virginia Tech doesn't have spring practice, right? And they don't have a, a normal summer or fall camp. And Hendon Hooker's out throughout most of fall camp dealing with COVID issues. He was in the hospital at one point, was undergoing tests for uh, myocarditis, which could have potentially derailed his football career. So it was pretty serious for him there for a minute. Wow. And he's, he's a kid who really could have used a full offseason to develop more as a prototypical pocket passer. Everything that he does and his strengths reside off of the RPO game. And the issue that Virginia Tech is having is that they don't trust Hooker to throw the ball 25, 30, 35 times a game from the pocket in typical passing situations. So now what's happening is that when Virginia Tech gets into third and six against Miami, when you absolutely need a first down, and Brad Cornelson calls a running play to set up Mm. what Jessen Fuente deemed in the press conference afterwards as fourth and manageable, People lose their minds at Cornelson for the play call, but the actual issue in my mind is the fact that he hasn't developed Hendon Hooker into a passer well enough that Cornelson and Fuente are comfortable on a third and six situation to put the ball in the air. Is it a trust thing or is it a Hooker thing, do you think? I think or it's some both. Of both. I, yeah, I do too. I like um, his arm. I've been impressed with the when he throws the ball, I've been impressed with the, with how it looks, but you know, I'm not an offensive coordinator. Right. And, and nor am I. And I, I'm with you. I, I it's impressive, right? Because he throws the football well and he's got he's got a good arm and he's largely accurate. But I think part of it too is the trust factor that Cornelson has in Hooker. I don't think he trusts Hooker. It's like Jimbo Fisher and EJ Manuel. Correct. Bingo. I mean one hundred percent. That's exactly. You didn't trust him, and you'd go, "Please, Jimbo, throw the football. Really, throw it's fine. Football. I'm a good quarterback." Right. Like, don't run the ball behind this porous offensive line. Like, let's play, like, please throw the ball a little bit, and they won't do it. And I think the issue too is Virginia Tech's offensive line, for as good as it's been this year, and, and they've received a lot of credit for what they've done in the run game, and justifiably so, because Khalil Herbert has been one of the best backs in college football when he's been healthy. Mm-hmm. The offensive line has struggled in pass protection. Some of that's on the offensive line. Some of that, truthfully, is on Hendon Hooker for not getting rid of the ball quickly enough. And mm-hmm. some of it's on the receiving core for not separating, right? Like some of these receivers haven't developed yeah. what you'd expect either. 
maybe that's I was going to say, actually, maybe that's the bigger issue. Maybe it's not even a hooker issue and it's more of they don't trust the receivers to make the plays that they need to make, too. And, and that would make some sense to me because, yeah, I mean, when you look at, for instance, like North Carolina's offense compared to Virginia Tech's, I mean, that's obviously the biggest difference is North Carolina has. I mean, maybe the best wide receiving core in the ACC. It's pretty close. If one, not. Of the best, one of the best in college football. I mean, yeah. there, aren't, there aren't that many I'd put it. I mean, maybe Alabama's with Jalen Waddle healthy and a few sure. others, but there, there aren't many I would put ahead of North Carolina's even across college football. Yeah. And you don't, if you don't have guys that can make plays for you in the, in the receiving game, no matter how good you are at quarterback, it's, it's going to make a difference. We see that at Clemson even a little bit this year where. Sure. You know, North Carolina, it's wild to say this kind of, but North Carolina does have a better wide receiving core than Clemson does. And, yep. you know, th- those guys haven't emerged yet for, for Clemson. And that's made a little bit of a difference in the way their offense is run. And, and you know, it's, it, I think it's just hard for Virginia Tech. To, it's probably hard to pass block too. Pass blocking is always a harder thing for O-lines for whatever Definitely. reason. I mean, well, not for whatever reason. It's a little more complicated um, than run blocking. But still, it, it also doesn't help that I think teams know what Virginia Tech wants to do now. They know they want to run the football, and they're just like, okay, well, we're not going to let you do that. So yeah. that hasn't really helped. <laughs> right. And, and so I, I think the larger, the larger question here, because a lot of fans are saying, oh, my God, like, let's get rid of Fuente now. Let's pay the buyout now. And yeah, man, no. Fact, <laughs> forgetting the fact that you know, Virginia Tech hasn't recruited well, and they've been trying to expand the resources within the athletic department. Well, listen, Lauren, you know what hinders that? $50 million revenue yeah. loss, in addition to paying a $12.5 million buyout to a head coach to not coach for you, and then having to pay an entirely new staff. And that's before you even consider bringing on new resources in the recruiting department or adding positions in that department. It becomes yeah, a lot harder to yeah. recruit when you're paying that kind of money on a buyout for a guy not to coach. And the other thing is like when you compare it, for instance, to a Florida state, because Florida state has some similar kind of cash flow issues from time to time, but Florida state fans, you should not underestimate their will to get rid of a coach that they don't like from a monetary perspective. And they will always find the money when it comes down to something like that. And I don't know that Virginia tech has, and their like money base has necessarily demonstrated that. And I don't think that that's, yeah. I mean, so are we looking at a year, two years before, before something can happen, like maybe after next year, something could happen with one day if it doesn't work out. Yeah, it's a it's a balancing act for athletic director with, with Babcock. It really is. Like it's it's this deal that he has to you know look at from a monetary standpoint, where he knows revenue is not going to be there this year, and he probably wouldn't pull the trigger on a twelve and a half million dollar buyout even in a non COVID year. Because let's be honest, Virginia Tech, even at four and four and four and three in conference play going into this game this weekend against Pittsburgh, they haven't really bottomed out yet. I mean, you look at, we could talk about this game more in depth here in a second, but when you look at Virginia Tech versus a team like Pittsburgh with a similar record, I feel totally differently about the Hokies than I do about Pittsburgh. And there's yep. a couple different ways to get to four and four overall. And I, and I think Virginia Tech is on the higher end of that spectrum. So it hasn't totally bottomed out yet. And I think it would have to really be bad to the point where Tech loses this game against Pittsburgh. Tech gets blown out and doesn't look competitive against Clemson. And Tech loses by a couple scores against Virginia for Whit Babcock to really consider pulling the trigger this year. I don't think any of those things are going to happen. I mean, I think they'll get blown out to Clemson. But I don't think that they're going to lose by two scores to UVA. I don't think they're going to lose this weekend to Pittsburgh. So for the worst case scenario, sure, I guess Babcock could try to find the money from the donors. But I think the most realistic outcome at this point is 
Fuente goes into this offseason, tries to make the best of the 2021 class, whatever that ends up being in its end state, and then goes into next season as, okay, this is it. You better deliver this year or you're going to be out after 2021 because the buyout drops to 10 million, Lauren, after like mid December of this year. And I don't think Babcock will hesitate in what appears to be a better situation from a world health standpoint and a financial standpoint next year. Um, I don't think he would hesitate to pull the trigger then at the end of 2021. But this is, this in my mind anyway, I think we're on the typical track of this is going to be a situation of Justin Fuente, kind of his hand being forced where he's going to have to make some decisions from a staff standpoint. And this is kind of the beginning of the end where the athletic director set, looks at Fuente and says, all right, you need to make these changes, right? You need to make some moves on offense, for example. Like you're going to have to move on from Brad Cornelson, even though you have a top 20 offense nationally. It's a flawed offense. They don't throw the ball well. They're totally reliant upon Khalil Herbert to pop off. And when he's hurt, it looks totally different. So they're going to try to make some moves to shake things up. And I think it's going to happen on the offensive side of the ball because defensively, all the staff yeah, hires that they had in the sure. offseason, it's just too new. Yeah, Justin Hamilton's too new. Um, Although I guess I saw that they were moving back to some of what Bud Foster had been doing before um, they, schematically. They are. They're, they're playing more man-free defense um, with, you know, playing man-to-man with their corners and free safety over the top instead of like more of the zone scheme that Hamilton wanted to play because they were just getting carved up by everybody defensively. Oh, yeah. Yep. Trying, to, <laughs> trying to change up from that. So I don't know. I, I think we're heading down the path of coordinator hires um, or coordinator changes and maybe some new staff hires and try to shake things up that way. A la Brian Kelly with the four and eight 2016 year for Notre Dame. I think you can yeah. see something similar to that. Although to be fair to Hamilton, I, I remember thinking that when they played North Carolina, when they were in that kind of zone and I'm like, look, their receivers are good. You don't need to give them that much space. But at the same time in that game, they were missing some secondary pieces. So I don't know that he felt like he probably had much choice. Right. Um, yeah, so yeah, Virginia Tech Pittsburgh. It looks like Kenny Pickett's back, which is which is great to see. Um, because he's been when he's been healthy, he's been an enjoyable quarterback to watch. Um, that's probably about the only thing I've enjoyed watching about Pittsburgh football because they are maddening. They're so bad um on offense. They are just so, so, so bad. Um offensive yards per play standpoint, I think they're 108th in the country. <laughs> so it's it's real rough. Um they're second yeah, they to Cannot yeah, run the football. Cannot. Um, they're second to last in the ACC at 4.7 yards per play on offense. The only team that's worse is the team we talked about earlier in Syracuse. Rushing offense yards per play, 2.82. That's worse in the ACC. Oh, and God. Lauren, I don't know. I, I'm sure you've had these conversations multiple times in this podcast as well as you know Joey and I have had it on ours, but it's so weird to see Pittsburgh not be able to run the ball yes. at all. It's surreal. Yeah, I, I and I know it has to drive Pat Narduzzi crazy. I mean, basically, the only thing that gives would give Pittsburgh any kind of chance in this game is, you know, because they've had so many defections on the defensive side of the ball, too. And that defense, as good as it can be at times, they have just this amazing tendency to self-destruct with penalties. They're not disciplined. Um the offense, it's just going to come down to Kenny Pickett. Like, I, I saw him almost win a game on his own against uh, NC State earlier in the year. He did his best. And it's really it's just going to come down to that, what he, what he can do, what he's capable of doing, because there's really nothing else you look at from Pitt's point of view to say, oh, yeah, that's, that's a promising matchup for them. 
Right. I mean, the off the rushing offense, even against Pitts, uh, even against Virginia Tech's defense, which hasn't been great this year. Oh, no. Pitt know, can't run on anybody. I mean, Pitt can't run on anybody, and the Hokies are coming off of their best defensive performance of the year against Miami. Yeah, last week. played well. Mm-hmm. Uh, played well, and offense weirdly was the reason why they lost that game. So I, I think Tech's defense up against this Pittsburgh offense. I don't think the Hokies defense is bad enough where Pittsburgh is all of a sudden going to be able to average like five yards per play on the ground. Which, oh, I think, God, no. which I think would be what's needed for Pittsburgh to feel good about their chances in like a shootout, for example, which I don't Penny's going to have to run it like 15 times and pass it like 47. He is. He's going to have, <laughs> I mean, he, really, he, it's going to have to be similar to that NC State game that you mentioned. Like he's going to have to throw the ball damn near 30 times and Pittsburgh's offense is just going to have to figure it out through the air. Jordan Addison's going to have to have a huge day. That's what it's going to take, in my mind, to beat Virginia Tech because as up and down as the Hokies have been, this Pittsburgh offense has been so bad. It's by far the worst part of this game. The, the worst unit is Pittsburgh's offense. They can't run the ball. They have four-star running backs everywhere. They can't run it. It's just it's maddening to me. I, I don't understand yeah. it at all. And perhaps more maddening somehow is Pat Narduzzi being down double digits in a game and continuously kicking field goals. Um, I, I know they're red zone yeah. off of the track, but like, dude, just go for it. You're not winning the game unless you get points. It's, it, our, our, it's funny. Our governor made an analogy the other day uh, about like, you know, come on, don't give up now on like, you know, doing the right things from a COVID perspective. It'd be like right. kicking a field goal on the 10 yard line or punting on the 10 yard line is what he said. And I was like, I immediately thought of Pat Narduzzi. I was like, if Pat Narduzzi could get away with that, I think I tweeted Pat Narduzzi rubs chin thoughtfully because like if he could do that and get away with it, he would absolutely do it. Well, it's, it's really funny because I, I know you follow and I follow Alex Kirshner, formerly a Banner Society, and he's a Pittsburgh alum. And he always talks about Pat Narduzzi and how, or I, I guess he's, He's from he's Maryland alum, but he takes an interest in Pittsburgh because that's where he grew up. And it's really funny because he's always tweeting about just Pat Narduzzi. Why are you doing this? Why are you kicking down by 14? Why are you kicking down, set, you know, down 11? Why, like, what are you, what are you doing? Because you're and, just improving your margin. That's and, it. Yeah. It's just improving the margin. It's almost like he's got money on the game or something. It's very, right. it's very odd. Um, that covers Narduzzi. Yes, exactly. So it's just, it's crazy to me. And I feel like he's just the constant, he's the constant laughing stock of the internet when he does that stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him do that on Saturday against Virginia Tech. It wouldn't surprise nope. anybody. Nope. Not a little, not even a little bit. Oh, okay. Four o'clock also four o'clock. Busy time slot. Okay, I'm not I'm not doing this, Virginia. I know you had to do this because of the ACC network. I know that. <laughs> I know you did. I get it. They want you to fill your inventory. But I'm sorry. I'm not talking about Abilene Christian. I'm not doing it. Nope. So I found, Lauren, I found a line on this game. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't see one on ESPN. I found one. Uh, Virginia is a 35 and a half point favorite in this game. And this is one of those games, and I, I discussed this with Joey on, on my ACC podcast. I This is one of those games where it wouldn't surprise me if Abilene Christian, this is kind of their Super Bowl, right? It wouldn't surprise me if this game was close for like some of the first quarter. Right, of course. Um, but Abilene Christian lost to a school called Angelo State. 
And Antelope State, where is that even? That is, that is in Texas, come to find out. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, Angelo, is that like Los Angeles? No. Right. Angelo State Rams. They, they lost to them 34 to 21. So it wasn't even like oh, they lost boy. by a field goal. They lost by two scores to a school that nobody has even heard of. Is that D2? It, it's oh. D2. It is a D2 school. Oh, good God. Is yeah. Abilene Christian FCS? believe they're in the yeah they are they're fcs they're from the south and they lost to d2 that's bad yeah it's real bad so that's that tells you about all you need to know um yeah that's gross angelo state i mean angelo state doesn't even have a page on espn.com lauren (laughs) (laughs) real bad hey they do pressure though congratulations Uh, to you so i'm going to take virginia (laughs) i mean yeah I just can't in good conscience take a team in Abilene Christian that lost to Angelo State to cover the spread against an ACC school. Can't do it, won't do it, I'm sorry. No. Oh, no. Yeah, there, Abilene Christian's one highlight play on ESPN.com uh, on their page is a wide receiver celebrating a touchdown early against Army and, and fumbling. So that's fun. They lost by 32 to Army. So I love that Army team. I love that Army team. Army. Yeah, 50. Yeah, 50. 55 to 23. Um, oh, Army. Why'd your, why'd your defense fail you so badly? Um, uh, oh, yeah. I just, oh no, no. That's as much as we're saying about this game, Virginia. And again, I know it's not your fault. You had to schedule an in-state game. But no, 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 no. Nope. Um, all right. So we'll cap off the night. And this is the only game I have to cover Saturday now. So because uh, <laughs> of Duke being postponed. Liberty and C State. NC State. Every NC State fan I know is completely terrified. Should be. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, I agree. I think if NC State plays the way it is capable of playing, even with Bailey Hoffman, that it should win the game. Agreed. But they're going to have to play very well. They have to play well. I mean, I mean, they like, absolutely that sounds like do. But it, like they like defensively, they have to play well. They probably have to force some mistakes. And then offensively, they absolutely have to score every time they have a chance to. Well, they do because I don't trust. I mean, NC State's defense, granted, like it hasn't always been pretty this year, but they've played okay in spots where I've to the point where like I felt generally better about the direction of the defense, like early in the year, you know, right. Opportunistic for sure. And I feel like the offense playing a bit better, too, has helped that as well, like hundred percent. Yeah. NC State's offense had been scoring a lot of points early in the year, but I, I feel like the Wolfpack as a whole right now, they're they're the most efficient they've been offensively all year. And I think that's certainly yes. helped the defense. But oh Lauren, after watching Liberty up close and personal yeah, please attack a couple weeks ago, Malik Willis is such a problem. He is so good. I mean he's averaging like hundred rushing yards a game, right? At quarterback. Yeah. He is. He's got 98 carries for 700 yards this year. So Ooh. he's so good. He's so good. So good. Um, he is a guy who was actually committed to Virginia Tech at one point as a defensive back, then decommitted, went to Auburn, and then ended up, of course, at Liberty as a quarterback. And he's been awesome for Hugh Freeze. And the one thing I can guarantee in this game is that Liberty's offense will show up and play well, because that is the one thing that we can yep. guarantee with a Hugh Freeze coach team is that the offense is going to be very good. And Liberty's offense has been good all year. So I agree. NC State needs to score almost every time they have the football. They do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, uh, it, the good news for State is that they are 
maybe going to be at their healthiest that they've been all year defensively. They get Tanner Ingle back after he's been sort of bothered with a hamstring all year long off and on. They're, that's one of their better tacklers, better defensive players. They get him back this week. Um, and they're young guys that they've had to play, especially in the secondary, have stepped up and played well. Obviously, we know their D-line can be a problem. Aline McNeil's really good at defensive tackle. And that's the thing about their defense is like, yeah, they, they make mistakes from time to time. They'll give up some big plays. But they're also more than capable of sort of getting the goal line stop, getting the fourth down stop, whatever it is. They've played really well in those types of situations. It's a contrast for me between like their defense and like North Carolina's defense, for instance, which doesn't make those types of plays and does have kind of similar has kind of similar issues in terms of they have a pretty solid front. They have some young guys in the secondary, but they haven't been able to come up with those plays in those big moments. And NC State's defense largely has kind of done that. And that's what I've liked about them this year. and they're going to need to do it again because Liberty's offense is no joke. And I, I tweeted out the stat, um, you know, NC State has done pretty well defensively in terms of stopping the teams that should stop statistically. But the only top, you know, 50-ish offense they've faced that they did, you know, that they beat in the game, in, it was Wake. And right. that's it. Every, every other, you know, top offense and Liberty's one of them, Carolina and Virginia Tech, in those games, they both got blown out. And that's, you know... Yes, they were missing some guys uh, in both those games, but not to warrant that necessarily. So, yeah, the offense is just going to need to produce. I mean, there's really no no way around it because you're going to have to keep pace on the scoreboard. Yeah, and that weight game you mentioned too, you know, short and fall camp, that was the opener. And right. like you're willing to almost, I, I don't want to say completely throw it out because I think in a way, every single game in 2020 is just kind of like, okay, we can chalk some of this up to COVID, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we need to. Um, no, but but I'm I'm with you there with everything you were saying. I I have a question for you because you're closer to the NC State fan base than I am. What's the feeling about Bailey Hawkman? Because I, I think the jury was obviously out immediately after he came in for Devin Leary because of what the offense looked like early in the year with Hawkman at quarterback in the passing game. But what's the feeling on him now? Because I feel like he's played pretty well since Leary got hurt. Yeah, I think that they've been very pleasantly surprised. Um, During the North Carolina game, the first full game without Leary, um, Hawkman didn't play well early. They bring in Ryan Finley's little brother, Ben, who turned it over some, but really showed some flashes and a lot of upside. Yep. Um, And I think NC State fans felt like, okay, well, you know what? We're going to see more Ben Finley. Well, guess what? We haven't seen Ben Finley since, and that's because of Bailey Hawkman. I mean, I'll say this too. Bailey Hockman, apparently it was predetermined that Ben Finley was going to get a series in that game, at least, but he played well, so they kept him in. And Bailey Hockman, you know, he could have been feeling down. He could have been feeling not very confident. He comes back in the game with a big deficit against North Carolina. And I thought that was as well as I'd seen him play in the second half. Now, granted, it's in some garbage time, you know, some of North Carolina's second strings out there, whatever. But the way he played was very impressive to me. And I remember thinking, like, wow, it, I don't know if that's an anomaly or if that's what we're going to see carry over. And it really has. Like, he's just been, he's been really impressive. Every now and then, yeah, he still throws a ball that he puts into some jeopardy. And, and I know he makes state fans a little nervous in that sense. Um, but, you know, because I, I remember in the, I think it was the Miami game when it was like basically a shootout. And oh, yeah. um, the announcers were like, they wanted state to like, from like their own 10 or something like, start throwing the ball a bunch and state fans were like, no, 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 no. Because they knew, you know, Bailey had a little bit of a proclivity to turn the football over. And 
you know, and that's why Dave Doran was a little more conservative there because you don't want to, the, the, the bad outcome there would have been real bad. So, uh, but he has not, for the most part, put the ball in jeopardy a lot. Um, and he's been able to make plays and he's getting, you know, one thing, interestingly, he didn't get the ball as much to Emeka Mezzi before uh, this last couple games. And he's really done that since and, and just sort of let NC State's best receiver make plays for him. Some of the young guys at receiver are playing well. He's using all the weapons he has really well. Um, he's been really, really good. And you can tell his confidence is, is really high. And I think Liberty's defense will certainly leave plays out there for them to make. Like, they're not an amazing defense by any stretch. So Yeah, I mean, he's completing something like 68% of his passes the last two games. Um, you know, five touchdowns to two interceptions. And it's clear that he's gaining confidence. And that's I think that's huge for NC State. Yeah. I, so I think that State fans are very pleasantly surprised. And, you know, initially when, you know, Ben Finley, we don't see Ben Finley again. Initially, there was some sort of like, oh, are we going to see him again? You know, that people were excited to see him. But Bailey Hawkins made them forget all about it. And I, by the way, Dave Doran does not want to have to play Ben Finley this year if he can avoid it. He sort of alluded to the fact that they want to put a little more weight on him in the weight room. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. you can kind of see that against North Carolina. Um, you know, but he certainly has a lot of upside, but Bailey's played really well. He's made the most of, I mean, this is a coaching cliche, but he's made the most of his opportunity and he's, you know, sort of bounced back from uh, some bad moments. I've been really impressed because I, I thought we sort of knew who Bailey Hawkman was and I was wrong. And He's, he's been the reason that they've played so well these last couple games offensively, and um, they're going to need to do it again. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of toss this out there and then run away from it. What do you think the possibility, because this is obviously going to be a pretty heated quarterback battle going into next year, I would think. Yeah. And with Ben Finley kind of emerging as, a, as the quarterback of the future, what do you think this means for Devin Leary if Hawkman plays well the rest of the year? Like, do you think that this could be, uh, okay, I'm hurt. I might not get my job back. I might ditch town situation. Or do you think, okay, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to try to battle this out and then evaluate my options afterwards. Cause this is almost like too many cooks in the kitchen with the potential of Ben Finley in the future with who you have directly in front of you at the moment, Bailey Hawkman, cause you got hurt. Like I, the way that Bailey Hawkman has played, in my opinion, like I don't think Devin Leary could come back tomorrow and be like, all right, I'm automatically getting my starting job back. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting question. And I hadn't really even thought that far ahead, but it is a really interesting question because Bailey's a redshirt junior. He'd have another year. And obviously this year doesn't even count anyway, technically. Right. Um, it is an interesting question. And I think Dave Dorn and his staff and, and Tim Beck and everybody, they're going to all have to have kind of an honest conversation because they went into this year saying Devin Leary is our guy. Like they were not shying away from that. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's something that will be really interesting to watch because I don't know um, what way they'll go. But I think state, you know, Dave Doran is a guy that he's very loyal. Like he really wants to go with a guy that has, been experienced and takes care of the football and and does all the right things from a leadership perspective and that's why he feels so strongly about Bailey I think yep and he that's why Matt McKay started last year even though right. it's fans insane but that's why he took care of the football as limited as he was he didn't turn it over and that's what they wanted and I it just it'll be interesting to see and I think that but I think Dave still does want to do right by his quarterback room and by Bailey and if he feels like hey, you might have the best opportunity elsewhere. Like, maybe they'll do that. Or maybe they'll just battle it out and see who wins. I, and I don't know. I think that they'll probably... Yeah, I think it would probably come down to Hawkman or Leary at the end yeah, of the day. right. Um, and let Finley have his time later. But yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question and one that I hadn't thought a lot about. But. Yeah, it's it's going to be one of the stories of the offseason, in my opinion, especially when you consider... Yeah, like, I think that, he's playing with well for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, because in a non-COVID year, I would have looked at this Dave Doran job situation with how NC State looked for much much of last year, and I would have said, you know what, this might be interesting for Dave Doran if things don't go well for NC State this year. And, and I think he's done a really good job. I've been he really has impressed. been, uh, yeah. I, in my opinion, he's one of the front runners for ACC Coach of the Year. In my opinion, and yeah. I don't know if he'll get that recognition because I don't know if NC State's record will be good enough. But considering how bad they were a year ago and what they've had to overcome in the quarterback room with their starter getting hurt and shoot, not yep. even having Devin Leary in the first couple games of the year. I mean, this is New board heck, haters, no spring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a heck of a coaching job by Dave Dorn. So I, yeah. I'm very yeah. intrigued by NC state moving forward. It'll be interesting. I mean, if they win this game and they went out, they will be, uh, eight and three. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, winnable. Absolutely. If they win this game, I think they went out. Um, agree. And eight and three after last year. Yeah, I think. And, and it's, you know, Dave Clawson will probably get dinged for what happened last week, but obviously they've done a really good job too. So, yep. Um, yep. I, as I said last week on the podcast, I don't think anyone's going to vote for Brian Kelly if they can avoid it. Um, They're going the to try to avoid that fake, <laughs> fake ACC. They're going to try to avoid that as best as they can, but I'm so sorry that you all had to deign to participate in a conference this year so you could play football. So sorry about that. Jeez. Yeah, they're going to try to not vote for Kelly. Not it. I'm, not try- I'm not trying to... Uh, we'll get, I'll get you out of here on this. I'm not trying to pile on... I like Pete Sampson from The Athletic Who Covers Notre Dame. I, but when he, uh, he sort of quote-tweeted an ACC Network tweet where he said, here's where we stand in the top 25, and they included Notre Dame, and he put we in quotation marks. And I'm like, Okay, like I know he's playing to his base a little bit. I get right. that, but like the utter snobbery of that. Like, so sorry that you got to play football games this year. <laughs> sorry that you didn't get to play a bunch of independents and FCS because every other conference ended up having these kinds of rules. Right? Like, you right. would have been screwed. But so sorry for that. Sorry we gave y'all a home and a pass to the college football playoff. You're welcome, I guess. Like, even though no one's thanking them, every everyone's acting like it's time to thank Notre Dame, and I'm like, get out of here with that. Please. Also. Yeah, the one thing that a lot of schools will thank them for, though, is that NBC TV money. It's like, okay, thank you for that. We'll take that. I don't know why both sides can't understand it. It is a mutually beneficial arrangement, full stop. Right, like, that's for it. sure. And, and, but that includes Notre Dame fans, too. Like, it's just for one year. Get over yourself. Agree. Just no, totally agree. All right, Mike, tell everybody where they can find you and find your stuff. At Mike McDaniel VT. I can't promise that it's always pretty over there because I have a lot of Virginia Tech fans that... Um, love to interact with me. So it's not always pretty, but go check out at Mike McDaniel VT on Twitter. That's the easiest way to find all my stuff. Sons of Saturday.com, basketball conference podcast covering ACC football. Like I said, we have great guests like Lauren and a lot of other great beat writers and people who know a lot about the conference and um, have more knowledge than I do. So it's, it's helpful to have those types of people on. So go check that out. Um, I do that with my buddy, Joey Weaver, and we have a lot of fun over there. So go check all of that out. All right, Mike. Thanks so much. And until next week, everybody.